Hello. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the suitors for Cordelia and Goneril and Regan's final conversation together in Act 1, Scene 1. Okay, so we've discussed the impact that Cordelia's decision has on her and Leah's wrath and Kent's response to that. Um, And just really kind of a quick recap, um, because the scene actually demands it, um, that the impact of Cordelia's decision on her fate. Um, And it's really shown in the way that Burgundy treats her. Um, So, you know, Leah asks... uh, what's the lowest dowry you'll settle for? Um, and he kind of, it, it's it's almost like he's sort of teasing him, he's, he's priming him to to then say that she has no dowry, that she is, she's penniless, that she has no, no kind of um, links to power anymore. And um, Burgundy, uh, in kind of a polite way, basically says that he, he did like her, but now he's not that interested. So it really shows how much Cordelia's put on the line and from a context point of view it's really important to look at the fates that even these um high uh class women had um were determined by men so her marriage is key because if she's thrown up by her father and she has no dowry then she has no fortune she has no prospects she can't make her fortune herself in the same way that a man could so she's she's made herself very vulnerable through her decision which again shows the level of her conviction and if you think about it that's mirrored a little in the way that Kent um through his honor and loyalty to King Leah has has because of his position in terms of the 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 class system and hierarchy and so on um he as a servant has has placed himself in a position of vulnerability because he has been dismissed as a result of him trying to help Leah. And Cordelia is the same. She doesn't want to take part in the love test and as a result is dismissed and her prospects are really potentially ruined. Um, so there's um, there's lots of imagery. It's hugely rich in imagery, this scene. There's natural imagery. There's imagery of um, and motifs of clothing. There's uh, animal um imagery and animal motifs in here um and uh we've talked about some of france's words um echoing the beatitudes um kind of uh protecting cordelia again and kind of being um being on her side and and vouching for her and and not understanding why Leah is so cross and and what she could possibly have done wrong to um have justified that sort of reaction so um it then uh develops burgundy um says that uh he is basically not not interested um i mean france builds his um builds his case for her love he says she is herself a dowry she is valuable in herself and wealth takes many forms and that is a repeated idea um throughout the plane of what is wealth uh are we talking about material wealth are we talking about the wealth of family the wealth of love the wealth of self-respect the wealth of honor the wealth of health what kind of wealth are we discussing um and uh soon after that burgundy says i'm sorry then you have so lost a father that you must lose a husband so burgundy reveals himself at this point he's after the title he's after the power that cordelia brings he's not after love this is good for cordelia actually even though in this moment she's humiliated this is good but it is bad for leah um 
And then France comes along, um, echoing the Beatitudes, thou art most rich, being poor, most choice, forsaken, and most loved, despised. There's lots of Christian imagery um, linked to Cordelia. Uh, she's really kind of, you know, there's there's lots of scholarly work having been done on the connections between Cordelia and various um, pinnacle figures in the Bible and in Christian uh, culture. So... France then um, commits himself to uh, to Cordelia, and his love, in a way, is increased by her misfortune. Um, and this paradox is is a little strange. And um, actually, Edmund Spencer in *Ice and Fire*, a poem called *Ice and Fire*, um, which would have been written just before *King Lear*, so kind of like a contemporary piece of *King Lear*. Um, it, that paradox is also explored, that idea of love and hate. And, and we've seen that before, um, the kind of the juxtaposition and the confusing emotions around love. So uh, he's maybe perhaps hoping for a dowry. We don't know because he does support the invasion of England. France does support the invasion of England. So he's potentially hoping for a dowry someday. So later on, he supports the invasion of England to reinstate Lear on the throne. But... At this point, we feel he's pure of heart and he is devoted to her, which is all we can hope for her, really, at this point. Um, and again, we've got rhyming couplets, which are final words before leaving. Uh, so, bid them for farewell, Cordelia, though unkind, thou losest here a better way to find. So, he's he's saying that, that she needs to leave this now. It's causing her too much hurt and she, she should move on and she should build a better life herself elsewhere. And then Leah leaves straight afterwards um, and uh, after one kind of final flourish of negativity at Cordelia, still using the royal we, still using the um, majestic plural in his closing lines, which again um, really highlights, he, he loves that pomp, he loves that ceremony, he loves the grandeur associated with being king, the ceremony associated with that. And to lose that is a really big deal to him, which is why when the argument about the retinue happens in later scenes, it's so important to him because it it means such a lot. So then um, Francis bid farewell to your sisters. Um, he's talking to Cordelia just before Cordelia leaves. Uh, and um, then Cordelia turns to them and says, the jewels of our father with washed eyes, eyesight coming back again, um, that eyes motif, uh, it could be, that she may be expected to cry, um, could be referring to tears, uh, could also then suggest clear and unclouded vision. And we know that the idea of washing in order to regain clarity um, around moral situations or to um, be made anew, that's a very Christian idea um, of baptism. And uh, the jewels of our father, the irony there is that she's calling her sister's jewels. So they're showy, they're sparkling, they have high material value, but what value in other contexts do they have? And it's that idea of the financial value over anything else, which is what they seem to prize and what she has picked up on. So she then um, she then says goodbye to them, um, and again we see rhyming couplets as, as a farewell is made. Um, as we saw when France said farewell to Leah, and then um, Cordelia saying farewell to her sisters. Um, and then Goneril and Megan are together. And immediately you can see there's a switch to prose. 
which is hugely important because prose is a much more informal way of speaking. Um, you speak in prose to familiars. Now, technically, it was a family talking to each other throughout most of this scene, and yet we spoke in verse, and again, that links back to Leah's love of the pomp and the ceremony and the grandeur and the fact that he is king first, father second, perhaps. But here we now have Regan and Goneril talking um, in, uh, in prose, and this is where we see their true colours beginning to emerge. So Goneril says, um, he always loved our sister most, and with what poor judgment he hath now cast her off appears too grossly. So Leah's judging and dealing with Cordelia will be his downfall. That comparative idea of um, uh, rivalry again is here. He loved our sister most. They knew that. But they didn't do anything when... Cordelia was cast off they didn't stop him in the moment they just watched and decided that something wasn't quite right there and they decided to seize the opportunity to use that to their advantage then Regan says and this is quite an important quote "'Tis the infirmity of his age yet he hath ever but slenderly known himself so it is that he's old but also he's never known his feelings particularly well maybe he's always been a little bit volatile like this so just using age as an excuse is not really enough because they're saying here that perhaps he's always been a bit like this and yet age is used as an excuse by them amongst other things throughout so they it's a conscious choice what they're doing there's definitely a theme of introspection here and self-knowledge learning who you are learning what you stand for and then uh Goneril continues to talk about um the idea of the unruly waywardness that infirm and choleric years bring with them. Again, we're starting to refer to old age and, and physical health. Um, choleric uh, being a reference to the four humours, um, which is something that you go over in um, in uh, context um, kind of notes. But uh, choleric um, being choleric usually is is linked to anger and irritability. So there's there's a link there and it kind of shows that they are anticipating more of these angry outbursts from him maybe that's because they're going to goad him who knows then um they decide that they're going to take action so they say there's further compliment of leave taking between france and him pray you let us hit together so they're uniting they're teaming up to basically take down their father and they're not quite sure what they're going to do yet but they say if our father carry authority with such disposition as he bears this last surrender of his will but offend us so what is the harm for them or perhaps Leah will change his mind or will relent and give away their gains and they don't want that to happen they're in a position of of advantage at the moment so they they wanted to, to maintain that and they need to take control of the situation while they can this conversation predicts the way they will defy their father's authority. There's an essence of power play and they need to justify their actions to others and themselves. Therefore, they attack age, even though age isn't necessarily the only thing that's going on here. Um, and Regan's tone is slightly more aggressive as well. The mental de decline of Regan is a really interesting um, kind of character arc to explore. Um, and the the way that she talks about her father shows that 
that lack of care that actually Goneril Goneril doesn't quite match Goneril very much is taking the lead in this she says so Regan says well, we shall think further of it and then the last line of that one scene one is we must do something and in the heat so strike while the iron is hot um and that in itself kind of tells us that Goneril's in charge. And we saw that at this point. You know, Goneril's the oldest. We know that from um, their speeches. Goneril's the oldest. She's, she went first delivering her speech and Regan kind of came in and tried to match it. And she didn't quite have the finesse to match it. Um, but, but kind of resorted to putting her sister down to try to match it. So you can see Regan has maybe even fewer moral boundaries that we can see at this point than Goneril. And Regan's then development of that and her decline to, in some some would argue, sadism by, by the end of it, um, is really interesting to explore. But at this point, Goneril is the one who is uh, in a position of authority and in charge. And their thoughts on their father their actions, their motives, are what we're going to explore in later scenes. This is a really long scene. It acts as a prologue. We're introduced to all the main characters except Edgar and the Four. And we're also warned of possible consequences. We're also told of Gloucester's adultery. So we're given a huge amount of information in this first scene. And then it finishes with Goneril and Regan plotting to overturn um, Leah and also the conditions of abdication. So the... The amount of information that we're given is huge and we are now set up to really understand and explore the length of this play with a huge amount of information under our belts. Okay, that's the end of Act 1, Scene 1. There'll be a one-page guide to Act 1, Scene 1 plus lots of revision materials posted on Google Classroom for you. And we'll be looking at Act 1, Scene 2 and Edmund's soliloquy in our next session. And... It is really important that you try and go back through this in pieces and don't try and revise the whole play at once because it's just too vast. So I would suggest um, making some flashcards, looking at key quotes, looking at key themes and ideas. We haven't gone through a huge amount of um, critical perspectives yet, uh, simply because we need to know a bit more of the play to be able to explore them fully. But your knowledge of Act 1, Scene 1 will help you um, explore the rest of the play so really spend some time get to know it get to love it look at the performances of it i'll post those on google classroom as well and i'll see you in the next session for act one scene two bye